it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I very much would have told you on you know March 12th, 2020, that our show was in a groove, and I felt really good about it. But I like this version of our show a lot more, and I think that so much of that was, hey, there were things that happened during this terrible pandemic that brought us closer to our sensibility comedically, our authenticity as people, and... We know, based on the fact that people kept watching, that they liked it. So we can come back in the studio and let's just do that show. Let's not think to ourselves, okay, remember what we were doing in 2020. It was far more like, hey, let's let's uh, layer this all this new stuff onto it. Like all late-night talk show hosts, Late Night with Seth Meyers host Seth Meyers found a way to get even more creative during the pandemic, finding a new groove for his NBC show. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Seth Meyers about a little bit of everything, including his COVID experience, how his early comedy chops at Northwestern led to this career, what happens if Trump is reelected, and shining even more of a spotlight on his staff, including Amber Ruffin. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Seth Meyers has been going strong for a while now, as seen from segments such as the viral video series Corrections, in which he answers online comments, or the signature strongly written A Closer Look. As the committee investigating the coup attempt on January 6th continues to reveal new evidence of a coordinated criminal plot by Donald Trump to overthrow American democracy, Trump is responding by suggesting he might pardon the January 6th defendants if he gets reelected in 2024. For more on this, it's time for A Closer Look. these hearings are important is very simple. This wasn't a one-off, and Trump hasn't forgotten. If he gets the chance, he's going to finish the job. And this is one of the rare times you can say that about Trump. He's not exactly a closer. I'm not sure he ever technically finished any of his buildings. I'm pretty sure that instead of putting fire alarms in his condos, he just painted them on. It was the second day back from the holidays at the start of January when Seth Meyers tested positive for COVID-19. He was immediately sent home, and a week's worth of shows were canceled. It's one of the more unusual aspects of hosting a talk show in 2022, something that others like Jimmy Fallon, James Corden, and Jimmy Kimmel have also experienced, a positive COVID diagnosis that sends your show either into repeats or guest hosts. Myers spoke to Variety's Award Circuit podcast during a recent stop in Los Angeles. First time I've seen people under the L.A. sun for almost three years. 
Has it been that long since yeah. you've been to LA? I haven't really. You know, the pandemic meant you could do a lot of this stuff remotely. Yeah, it's the, nice to be here and to see friends, and I've been really happy. So how, where do you stand in terms of how nervous are you and seeing people, and how much are you sort of, you know, like well, fist-bumping versus, you know, elbowing? Or? I'm still in the window, I think, of being immune from the fact that I got COVID in January. So mm-hmm. I think that's giving – I think I'm about a month away from being a little more standoffish again. Yeah. But I feel right now – like I'm good to go, but I've seen some friends here where I've worn masks and we've sat six feet apart, and I've seen others where we've been a little bit closer. But I've I've moved to a place. I'm also lucky because I get tested all the time at work. So yeah. it, I think that thing of knowing every 24 hours you're good makes you a little bit more relaxed. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're you're like playing the lotto every single day. Every is, single is this day, the day? Is this the day? And it was the day. I mean, it was the second day back from our Christmas break that they basically turned me around and sent me home. Um, so at least being over that hump is, is nice. Yeah. And how did you, uh, what was, uh, how, how was your COVID experience? My COVID was, <laughs> I had no symptoms, so I was fine and, but the whole family had it. Mm-hmm. So we were all, it wasn't the worst group of people to be stuck with, obviously. And the dream of course is when you, the dad are the only one with COVID and you have to put yourself in a room and watch like. Shawshank a bunch of times by yourself. Yeah. But that didn't, I didn't get that. So you still had to watch the, the kids' shows. The I had to do all that. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they're fun. They're yeah. good company. Um, yeah, because you're in like sort of the preschool TV sort of phase right now, or where are you in terms of like what you're watching with the kids? Almost nothing. We are very, our kids, and I appreciate that this is the wrong, uh, to, on a media podcast, this is the wrong thing to admit. <laughs> On, on we t- t- are TV-centered very pause. slowly introducing our kids to screens. And what's funny is you realize one of the byproducts of that is we watched the first Paddington movie with the six-year-old and the four-year-old. And the six-year-old just emotionally could not handle any time Paddington was at risk. Yeah, He just turned into a puddle of tears. And we had to stress to him, like, oh, you haven't engaged with enough children's programming like paddington's not gonna die <laughs> but and so uh we uh, we might have to speed up and catch him up to the world yeah but, yeah that's that's interesting i mean i hats off to you um yeah you know because because i i did not go that route yeah <laughs> my, my, my i'm uh we're we're following um i'm i don't even know the path that's laid out by my wife i would say is the one we're on yeah and she just doesn't – I mean, they're really good. My kids can, like, tell you different plants and different trees. And uh, I should probably be on, like, a Portland podcast talking about, like, how. This is very NPR of <laughs> yeah. us right now. So and I, I, I saw you did uh, um, NPR, like, not too long ago. Yeah. So. I mean, when you talk to Terry Gross for a week, people come up to you – in New York especially. I don't know what it's like here. But in New York, it's a walk in town. So when you do fresh air – for yeah. a full week, people with tote bags tell you how good <laughs> they were like, I, oh, you are one. And they all talk like Terry Gross. So yeah. You have to get really cl- close to receive the compliment. And then they say, you were so, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it's it's very like, uh, yeah. and, 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 and Terry Gross is like the icon. Yes. So, so that. The two New York, oh, she's not New York, she's Philadelphia, but the two, I feel like there's a lot of New York Terry Gross listeners. But when you do Terry Gross, a certain kind of person tells you how great it was. And then when you do Stern, it's a totally different group of people that tell you how great it was. Yeah. And it's really fun. The week after you do Stern, it's um, a lot of guys yelling down at you from the cabs of trucks. Um, What's more – which show did you have to prepare more for? Which one were you more nervous about doing? 
I'm always more nervous about Stern because I'm afraid I'll say because he needles you mm-hmm. into he, he you know even though I I think he does it without malice he just is always like you know he's like one of those friends who's like come on you can tell me right <laughs> it's just the two of us it's just a, and you believe it like yeah. he's so good that you at some point you think this is just it is just the two of us look look at his loving face yeah <laughs> you do have to be a little careful sometimes yeah. uh, but I try not to get nervous at all for any of these yeah yeah yeah. Well, that's good. Now you're about to turn the tables on me, right? <laughs> exactly. It's very interesting. So, I have some photos in this manila envelope. <laughs> um, funny you should mention that. Yeah. I do have a photo do you really? in this manila envelope. Oh I'm gonna, I'm, I was going to bring this up later, but why I'm, don't we? I'm very, this is now, I'm about to see if this is true. And you did. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember this? Well, I do remember that. It's my, uh, my is... Northwestern University the Facebook. Facebook. When, it was, uh, when Facebooks were actually printed. Yes, here, here. This is how Facebook <laughs> used to sound. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's paper. So this is. Do though, you still have a copy of this? By I don't the way? think I do. How do you have a copy of this? Because I was a year older than you. Gotcha. I was class of '95, right. and somehow I still have a class of '96 Facebook as well. But yeah, you're in there. Yeah, this is. And, uh, it was very exciting. Yeah, look at your listing and, and tell me if you feel like it still holds up. Okay, now. hold on. Let me get to it, guys. Hold on. Yeah, it's Myers. It's M E Y. Yep, 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 yep. yep, yep. <laughs> Here we go. M E Y. Baseball and film. Yeah. So pretty good, I pretty, think. Yeah. That, yeah. So there that, you go. That was your 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 high school, like you know, it's like pick your two like passions. Yep. And I said, uh, I did. I said uh, film and baseball, and there you go. And then, and years later, I starred in Fever Pitch. That was me, right? <laughs> yes. I feel like yeah. That was, that was you. That was you. Um. Wait. Yeah. I want to. Yeah. Think do, he's you, here. do you still have some uh, some? Pals from uh, the NU days that uh... yeah I did I was I'm I'm confused I thought I thought I graduated the same year as um, uh, Philadelphia Sixers GM Daryl Morey but I don't see his photograph in here um, well, maybe he was keeping a low profile but yes yeah, I do still I do still have a lot of Northwestern friends look at uh, that that photo of you like uh, you haven't really aged all that much I gotta say that's very kind of you uh, the difference of course is a, a hair and makeup budget. Um, like you've seen David Letterman recently, right? And like as soon as you leave one of these shows, that's when you're going to grow the beard. You, well, no, it's yeah. like that's when people realize what you've looked like the whole time. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> Before someone professionally puts your face on. Right, right. The weird thing is, this is I look closer to this haircut now, but by the senior year of college, I had the really long hair. Oh, you're doing the mullet. I was. At that it time? wasn't. I mean, I wouldn't call it a mullet. I would say it was more the long flowing locks of maybe some sort of Greek god. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. You had your groupies by senior year. <laughs> I, I had which, my improv groupies. Which I think is... I was doing the Meow Show, and I had my improv groupies. That was, though, by... That was the first time I was on a stage in front of people where I thought, ooh, I like this a lot, was my senior year at Northwestern. Yeah. So, and that, that sort of... Uh, the, the steps that led to now. It but, was really, like, cliche, but I remember standing on stage for my last college improv show. And in that, the way, the sort of passion of youth saying, I shall do this until they rip it from my hands. Yeah. And that was, and then I just sort of dedicated myself, not assuming that I would ever succeed, but knowing that it was the thing I loved the most. But it was sort of like you were, you, you had that vision, right? Yeah. You, you sort of, that, that's kind of great, right? I mean, is there any, yeah. the cliche of if you could go back now and slap that kid around a little bit and tell him what's up? Uh... I always, when people say if you could go, I do a Q&A with my audience every night and often people say, what's a piece of advice you would give a younger version of yourself? And I have to say, I'm so content with how things have worked out. I yeah. feel like, 
I would blow it. It would be one of those butterfly effect things. So I went <laughs> yeah. back. Any advice I would give myself. If I told myself, look, you got to chill out. Everything works out. Then I think I would took my foot off the gas. And mm-hmm. then I would not work out. So to some degree, whatever that young, passionate, oftentimes temperamental, I should say. I'm, I'm a lot more chilled out than I was in my early uh, to mid-20s. Yeah. Um, and late 20s and early 30s. But <laughs> I got... Uh, I got better at handling that, but I, I was very passionate about it. It was nice to be a, a young person with a passion for what I wanted yeah. to do. But temper, why were you temperamental? What, uh, what, what sort of set you off? Um, I, I just I remember I, you know, one of the it's it is a terrible uh, skill um, for an not a skill I would say more a fault. But as an improviser, I remember even early days like being so frustrated when people didn't do it exactly the way I in my head was seeing it going. When they went yes and you? Well, or... it wasn't even yes anding me. I was like, you just say yes, I'll do the and. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I uh, I remember, that's when I realized, oh, I think I'm a better writer than an improviser because, you know, the thing about improvising, great improv scenes is two people are writing together and there's this confidence that wherever it goes will be a magical place. Whereas I think I, if I walked out on stage with an idea of what I wanted the improv scene to be, I was always frustrated that people weren't doing the lines that I had in my head, even mm-hmm. though it was very unfair to ask them to read from a script that didn't exist yet. Right, right, right. If only they could read your mind, yeah. then this would Which have been a perfect show. Me, that they weren't putting the effort in to read my mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you mentioned the audience and talking to the audience each night. So uh, refresh my memory when you got the audience back. Yeah, so we did... We were basically September of 20 to October of 21, empty studio. And then October of 21 was when we had the audience back. I think we were one of the last shows to bring an audience back. Yeah. Well, actually, Daily Show just now. Yeah, just so this Trevor, week is finally. Right. He was the final one. Yeah. yeah. but um... And then John, I guess. John was after us, too, I think. Yeah. 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 He was still in that little void His closet. Void, yeah. He was yeah. very sweet. I should say um, – this will not surprise people that John is very sweet. When I fell ill with my COVID and we had to do it remotely, he offered me the void. He, <laughs> he texted, he did. He said, we have the void and we only use it one day a week. And if you want to use our void. And so, you oh, know, shout out to John. That's nice. He's, the, yeah, he's great. The, the, I mean, the, the thought of the, uh, the talk show wars, of course, is a, yes. a popular topic right now, now. Of course, I didn't take him up on it. And so it could have very well have been a trap. Yes. We, you know, we're, it looks like a nice offer. Yeah. But, you know, we will, there's no way of ever knowing. Right, right. But I do think I, there is a, a full thaw of the talk show wars. And I think, you know, as we um, live in a present where there, we have actual wars, I think it's nice to reflect back and say that maybe those wars were were uh, frivolous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cola wars. The, the cola the, wars. The talk show wars. I think the heart, the mo- you know what the most heartbreaking thing about the cola wars is? Do you know? Uh, is it that RC just never came to play? Or? It's that it's the last line of We Didn't Start the Fire. Like, in all – for him to pick a thing – like, to immediately be a thing that is forgotten as, like, the last. To, to scream Rock and Rolla Cola Wars as the final word is yeah. really – it's yeah. heartbreaking. I mean, not the only thing wrong with that song, but uh, probably the, the worst yeah. offense. Yeah. But but it does sort of remind you how innocent we were back in the eighties, and yeah, it, I am. I mean, I often think about yeah that period of time, that late nineties, like that was really. I mean, there was almost nothing on our minds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that was when I was getting my start as an improviser, and boy, oh boy. Yeah, I mean, pre social media, pre mm-hmm. 
pre-Fox News. Pre, I mean, there's a lot of things that. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, for me, I was like the mo- I'm. I feel like I moved to New York, you know, August 2001, where it was still Sex in the City, mm-hmm. and then 9/11 happened, and it was a different like that was like oh that, that like when we go back, my wife and I went and watched. I had never watched Sex in the City. Watched it from the beginning. Um, and let me just give uh, – I've said this to every member of the cast, and I think I've seen them all now. Sex and the City is a fantastic show that I completely underestimated. Yeah. I want to apologize for the way I felt about it. Do you feel like it holds up? Uh... I mean, I, I never watched it the first time. So for me watching it, it I it enjoyed it a great deal. Yeah. I thought it was an incredible show about uh, friendship. Yeah. And But it was like a color palette that I feel like was – that was like – oh, that was I feel like the color palette I saw the world in in the late 90s. You yeah. know, like what that – that sort of like blown out, bright colors, yeah. not a lot of – like uh, the things we worried about were all like our interpersonal relationships. And then like I feel like since, yeah, 2001, yeah. it's been a whole different deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and ironically, we thought the world was going to change in 2001, but it changed in an entirely different way. Yes. It's a good reminder that we don't – we're, we're – pretty bad at gaming out how massive events will change things yeah. yeah and and obviously we're experiencing another one of those right now we certainly are and uh it's a it's um yeah this one feels like uh just a slow it's like um like an ice flow slowly <laughs> falling into the water or something yeah and and i know the question you probably get a lot is you know just how much do i stay so young <laughs> yes i don't know thank you for i mean honestly <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, given like what you have to talk about and and explore every day, and, yeah. and you do it intensely with you know a closer look, and and you know this is this this is the 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 path that you've chosen, Seth Meyers. Yeah. But, but it you know, it, it, I, I'll assume where you're going. I yeah. for me, it is so much easier to be able to talk about it than to not. Um, the it's more stressful for me to be on hiatus with nowhere to put my, you know, yammerings. Whereas to have the show and have the writing staff and to have this, um, you know, catharsis of of talking it through every night and hopefully providing catharsis to other people. Yes, yeah. that's the gift. Yeah, yeah. So it is. You're kind of working through the the decline of yeah. <laughs> democracy and, yeah. and the world yeah. through through comedy. And just which... I think that you know when it all falls apart, you know there'll still be a YouTube playlist and everybody can go back and look at all the funny things I said. It, it is. <laughs> it is. It was all worth it. It's a historic document. <laughs> yeah. That hopefully yeah. someone will save also on a disc. So oh, that'd be nice. You know, yeah, we we'll, should make sure somebody in our IT department is working on that. <laughs> right, right. You just want to hold yeah. on to physical media yep. just, just, just in case. Just a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I was talking to uh, someone uh, connected to one of your competitors, and we were kind of talking about, well, what happens if Trump is reelected, and the vibe's just going to be different. This next time yeah. around, even if he just ends up running again, it's it's going to feel different. And, oh, hundred percent more and, than the first time. Yeah, and and are you going to have the stomach for that? It. I will say it really. It, the very thought of it makes you understand where John Stewart was when he said, "I might not want to do this anymore." You know, when he yeah. left The Daily Show. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, yeah, I could see getting to a place where just the show, you still love doing the show, but the stuff you have to talk about is a lot yeah. harder to get through. Um, it is, you know, again, as we talk about that impossibility to game into the future, I think you just have to stay in the present and, and talk about the show each day. But, you, you, like, I, you know, I don't think we're the only people who have existential dread about that possibility. Um 
But I do hope that when people think about that possibility, they think about how it will affect my show first. <laughs> and, well, and, I, well, I appreciate that it will also affect you in negative ways. I do would like you to put our show at the front of your mind. Well, and you see, speaking of John Stewart, there are a lot of people who are still pissed that he left right before everything went down. And, yeah. and they, they still sort of are, are angry that he wasn't there to sort of walk everyone through and maybe hold our hands a little bit. Uh, you know, and thankfully you were there and, and John Oliver. And, you know, we had plenty of folks, but... You know, you will sort of like, you know, be called upon to help people. Yeah. I mean, I do think it was interesting because one of the questions, you know, I I certainly get it less now, but there was a, and I think it's true of a lot of the shows right now, is like, who do you think you're convinced? Like, who do you think you're changing anybody's mind? And I don't, I mean, I think at this point, you know, it's not about that as much as trying to, you know, talk to people about the things that are happening and, and, what we, how we feel like they're, you know, um, more systemic than about any one individual. And, and hopefully that can just help alert people to what we think the stakes are. Um, but we feel better certainly talking about it than not. Yeah. And thankfully we still do also have really dumb moments like the Will Smith slap to yeah. talk about in, in addition to it. It's, I would, uh, yeah, I'm loath to say, like, isn't it great when something like that happens? <laughs> so I hope uh, nobody knows that I think that. But, uh, yeah, it is, it is, well, it is those moments where you realize, oh, well, I guess if something like this can happen, it would be foolish for us to think that we'd just be able to, like, steer democracy, like, through, you know, choppy waters with no, uh, you know, no incident. Yeah, yeah. But at least it's, it's something. It's yeah. something. But I mean, um, this town, this city should have. Did this city shake when that happened? I can only imagine. <laughs> well, whole- it, it was it was like the the like the four steps of denial, where that night everyone was making jokes and having fun sure. with it, and yeah. it was a good time. And then day two, you're like, oh yeah, that was kind of yeah, yeah, that kind of wasn't cool. Day three, you're like, yeah, that definitely wasn't cool. And day four, it was well, we got to take Will Smith down. Yeah, <laughs> that seemed to be sort of the slow burn of this whole thing. Yeah. It was it was amazing to – there was a thing that happened that everybody saw, and it was strange to me that it still took – like it was – there was still multi-steps in the way that people like came around. To, yeah. You know, it just goes to show you that even as we talk about – well, the problem with, you know, social media is it only tells you half the story. Like that was a situation where like, why? We saw most of the story. I think it, was like, it wasn't very long. We could watch from beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, I, and I loved Amber's take on it. Just... I mean, it was great. I just love having – it's, you know, one of the many benefits of having Amber Ruffin on your writing staff is you don't even have to pick up the phone and ask her to start thinking about something for Monday. She came in with two different takes. Like not takes, the same take, but like two different sketch forms for it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and one of the giant benefits of having her on our writing staff. Yeah, yeah. And a number of your your staffers uh, have really sort of come into their own, and, and they're their own personalities now. And that must be one of the kind of cool, gratifying things it's been for you to also sort of now yeah. be the, the conduit for this next generation. It was really fun. You know, part of, you know, one of the silver linings, I think, of the pandemic show's was talking about the writing staff more as sort of the part of the show's cinematic universe. And mm-hmm. and and then when we actually came back and had an audience in the studio again, you realized, oh, it, they're the audience that was watching. You know, they're now aware of the fact that, you know, our writer Mike Scullins once wore a tank top in a Zoom meeting or, you know, that our right. cue card guy Wally, you know, 
fell asleep on Zoom in an HR meeting. Like we, you know, we talk about things enough, and then we've sort of built this cast of character, and you see it on other shows as well. And I think that was a cool part of it was we were all going through the same thing the same way. Yeah, to some degree, obviously, but that connection trying to keep that connection as we started getting audiences back in was a really important part of our show yeah yeah and it sort of it made it feel a little more personal it does feel like everyone has more of a personal attachment to like staffers on on these shows than they used to and to the audience too because you did you know not literally of course but there was an invitation into your home which was hey i i'm doing the show here now (laughs) and uh and these are my books, and these are my kids, and this is my weird uh, angles in the wall behind me. And you're you're doing a show into an iPad, and most people are watching it into an iPad. And and that was a uh, it was a cool time when you realize the relationship that the, how the strength of that audience relationship. I just realized how much I was getting from it, which was great. And that's why you know you hear now there there is a little bit of this pandemic nostalgia that uh, I've I've been hearing about. People are talking about. I can kind of see it. Yeah, you know those early days where you were stuck at home and spending more time with your family. I was home for dinner every night. Yeah, and and it was kind of nice in a way. As long as you didn't get the Rona, then it was. Yeah, we you know I like our show more now. I like the show a lot. Before we, I very much would have told you on you know March twelfth, twenty twenty, that our show was in a groove and I felt really good about it. But I like this version of our show a lot more, and I think that so much of that was, hey, there were things that happened during this terrible pandemic that brought us closer to our sensibility comedically, our authenticity as people, and we know based on the fact that people kept watching that they liked it so we can come back in the studio and let's just do that show let's not think to ourselves okay remember what we were doing in 2020 um it was far more like hey let's let's uh, layer this all this new stuff onto it and so the biggest fear with these shows i think is doing them every day is that you become bored with a thing that's exciting just because of repetition and weirdly like getting to not getting to but having to go through a pandemic was a you know, a reset, like in a weird way, you feel like you got to start over and everything felt new um, and, you know, uh, inventive and creative and, yeah. and and you had to solve all these problems. And that's the, the, the irony is, you know, for years we've been talking about how can the talk show format sort of reconstruct itself, do something different. And, and, you know, a new show would come on and it'd still be a desk. It would still like ultimately be the same show. And it, took the pandemic for everyone to really and and all the shows you're right did it in their own way just kind of deconstruct what they're doing and do something completely different and and take some risks because you had to it's a little bit i think a lot of it works because we had to show our work the audience was with us while we made these changes Mm -hmm. you know i think if i had said to nbc independent of a pandemic i'd like to do the show from my attic you know, <laughs> right. and I'm, I'm going to wear flannels and do my own hair and makeup. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to use a really shoddy camera. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, they would have said, why? I think people will hate it. And they would have been right. People would have hated it. But because everybody got to go on the journey of watching why you did the things you did, now it all sticks. And I remember somebody saying to me when I started late night, are you going to wear a suit? 
And it never even occurred to me not to, right? And I said, yeah, I'm going to wear a suit. And they said, it's so weird to me that you all wear suits. It would be so fun if there was a host that didn't wear a suit. And I think that would have been crazy. I think that weirdly would have looked if in 2014 I walked out dressed the way I am dressed now when I walk out. I think people would have thought, who is this guy I think he is? Like, why does he think he doesn't have to wear a suit? Whereas now we get away with it because – Again, everybody was with us on the journey. Yeah. Trevor Noah was wearing a hoodie for like two years. Yeah. How and comfy is that? I know. And and he – I also think so much of these shows is you want to – I don't think people want to watch hosts white-knuckle it at this hour that we're on. I think you want to watch all of us be comfortable. I think we want to – a lot of our comedy comes from comfort and being relaxed. SNL is a totally different thing. Like SNL's. You know, on Saturday night, Saturday night is a night that feels a little bit more dangerous. Like the idea of live and the idea that something could go wrong is one of the magnetic elements of that show. Whereas, like, if you're watching me at 1230 on a Tuesday, you know, I don't think there's a sense of, oh, let's watch the tightrope act. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Funny you mentioned SNL. I feel like they're kind of killing it right now. I know you just had Gerard Carmichael on, but that monologue that he did, I'm still thinking about how just well-crafted and just how amazing that was. Yeah, it was wonderful. I mean, sometimes they just nail it with the timing of a host, right? Gerard always would have been a great host, but I can't imagine there was a better day for him to come on and host that show, Um, you know, right on the heels of that exceptional special which i really recommend everybody yeah. see rathaniel which is wonderful and uh yeah i mean i it's you know the only it's so funny to be a former part of that show and go through the same journey that everyone who's ever left that show has gone through which is well best of luck doing it without me oh you guys are doing great <laughs> <laughs> you know like see how long you last without oh you're with that thriving better ratings than ever okay great I apologize that I ever thought that way. Well, the new rule is you never leave, right? I mean, now now the thing is you just stay forever and do your other things. So do I, I, I mean, that's the thing. If this new balance of like a short season of a passion project, you know, that was not available, uh, by the way. <laughs> not Nor was anybody offering it to me. <laughs> but like, I, I can't tell you the things I turned down because I didn't have the time with the SNL schedule. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I feel like there's a way for people at SNL to have like really complimentary com- careers because of the projects lineup. Yeah. And, uh, also weirdly, I don't you feel like SNL is now what comedy movies used to be? Like there's, you know, there's so much fewer of that. Yeah. Like the big tent comedy movie that I feel like was often the path out of SNL. I feel like now SNL is almost like the summer blockbuster comedy movie. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And the the, the pathway out is to do that six episode show yeah, for like HBO do, Max. Yeah, or, to do uh, yeah, your Shrill or, or uh, Dan Michael Che or you know Schmigadoon. Like those are and those are all wonderful, you know, perfect shows for that um, that talent. And so it's a it's a nice time I think for that group of people. So speaking of things that I uh, watched and, and binged during the pandemic, AP Bio. Yeah. Um, yeah. That. Fantastic show. Yeah. Um, I really do hope that uh, in the years to come, people go back and watch it. Um, that's Mike O'Brien. He's one of the funniest people I've ever worked with. I knew him in Chicago, and then he was a great SNL writer. And he just wrote this wonderful show uh, for an incredible cast fronted by Glenn Howerton. And uh, it's all available to stream four great seasons on Peacock. And it kept taking really cool chances every four years. I mean, yeah. for over four years. Yeah, I think it's just you know one it, it one of those shows that if 
people found it. Yes. They, they would like just binge it. Uh, it it's always yeah. was a problem of like people not knowing where it was or, or how to find it. It was also, you know, it is, man, it is such a tricky thing. I, you know, I think a lot of people listening to this will appreciate it. to just start a show. I remember it was an absolutely exceptional pilot, but one of the things about the pilot was, you know, Glenn Howerton was sort of an asshole. Right, mm-hmm. and it was a really bad time for a white asshole. <laughs> right, the, the, <laughs> you, you know, yeah, that the Walter White era had passed. Yeah, a little bit. Even though by episode three, you could see that this was an ensemble right, show, right? Um, and uh, an incredibly diverse ensemble show with uh, a cast of both really talented young actors and talented older actors, and. Um, and that's uh, and but and I also think that's the only way you could have told a story because you had to set up who um, who Glenn's character was. Um, but it is really nice to have, and again, uh, you know, all of the uh, it's really you know it's Mike and and uh, Shelley Gossman and incredible writing staff that worked on the show. That, you know, I had very little to do with it, but it was really cool to be a, even a small part of a show that maintained its quality for so long. Well, so what is uh, I, I know you and uh, Mike Shoemaker had uh, or have your company together. Yes. What's what's sort of the the what's next for you guys? Well, we have Amber's show mm-hmm. as well, and you know that's the kind of show we want to produce, which is it's a a talented friend of ours, be it Mike or be it Amber or be it you know another writer on our staff or be it somebody that was in the SNL ecosystem when we were there, who has an idea that basically they are going to do. You know, we just want to try to create room for them to get it started, get it off the ground, and then get out of the way. But we're not. Um, you know, we're not trying to, like, build an empire or anything. We just like having our name uh, associated with the kind of people that make us laugh. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, no no, no, no big announcement of anything new coming that uh, you could talk about just yet? <laughs> no, I know. Um, we're, doing a, we're doing a Iron Man prequel. <laughs> we just have to work out the IP. You were doing a Monsters thing at one point. We were doing what? a Monsters thing that uh, that sadly is now there's someone else's doing. I think Rob, Zo- Rob, Rob Zombie, Zombie yeah. did a Monsters movie. This is a classic, uh, classic situation. Happened to me many a time where I couldn't quite crack it, but uh, then Rob Zombie. <laughs> yes. This is the same fans of Rob. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's actually doing an AP Bio reboot. I don't know if yeah, you've heard. Well, you uh, know what? He's fantastic. got the skills. He's got the skills. I'm not going <laughs> to stand in the guy's way. And then we got more documentary now coming uh, That's soon. being filmed right now. Yeah? So I can tell you that's, yeah. We're, uh, we're filming the entire season overseas. and uh, Overseas? And Yeah, in, uh, in the UK and Europe. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's very – I'm very excited. It's been – I mean, first of all, I, I'm so grateful to IFC that they have been very understanding of our schedules and yeah. commitments and the fact that we're doing a fourth season, maybe now like eight years after our first season. Like it's been a big old gap since season three. But um, I, there's very few things I work on that are I'm prouder of than Dr. Yeah. Right now. No, it's always fun. I know a couple of things have leaked out like you're doing a – uh, octopus teacher, mm-hmm. octopus teacher, yes, uh, um, my monkey con man. <laughs> yeah. So and uh, yeah, we we're getting. I mean, um, I don't have to tell you, uh, the UK has some talented thespians, so uh, casting has been a joy. I bet, I yeah. bet, and they like their humor dry. They so. like it dry, and it, it's, I dare you to find a drier comedy show than a documentary <laughs> now. Yes. Um, 
And, you know, this is, you know, again, of everything I do, nothing, nothing brings in the cash more than (laughs) those IFC budgets, I'm sure. I think at one point um, I had to explain to my wife that I go, you know, technically we might lose money on this. (laughs) Like when you count the amount of hours I spend on scripts. But with that said, it is really, especially working on a show like mine, which is, um, the, the the highest value my show has, and so far as when to watch it, is uh, the, when it airs, right? Or within 12 hours. Because yeah. it's about you know current events. It's yeah. a little bit like working on a newspaper. Whereas when you do hyper-specific parodies of documentaries from 50 years ago, I don't know, you could wait 10 years before you watch them. And they, they hold up very well. because yeah. uh, And so it's, it's really nice to work on something like that. As well. Evergreen content. Evergreen, dry content. <laughs> All right, I got the uh, the rapid fire round Ooh, for you now. Okay, so, um, and uh, the first one, I, maybe I already asked you it, but the question that people ask you the most. The question: um, How's Stefan? <laughs> the question. Every, I do a Q and A every night, and I would say every three out of four nights, someone says, "How's Stefan?" And the best is every single person asks it with a grin on their face, like they're the first person <laughs> that ever thought to ask it. <laughs> and how do you answer it? I say that he's very well. Um, he's a little upset that I have decided to have children with mm-hmm. a human woman, but other than that, but you know, he was never really that happy. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So I, I imagine he's the, happy and is unhappy. Now. Imagine yeah. the pandemic was tough on him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the TV show in history you wish you were a part of. Cheers. Good. Yeah. good I had a dream once when I was a kid. I remember I had a dream that I was on Cheers, and I think it's the most upset I ever was when I woke up. You know when you're having one of those great dreams? Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the many uh, – there's nothing but upsides to the kind of uh, career I've had. But getting to meet people like Ted Danson and, and finding out that they're also very nice people is yeah. Yeah, a, uh, real, a real special thing. Ted Danson is the best. He really is the best. He is the best. Mr. Mayor, by the way, another show people need to be watching. Very good. Bobby Moynihan, an incredible role for Oh, me. yes. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic in it. Um, what would people be surprised you watch? What's your guilty pleasure of the moment? What would people be surprised I watch? I don't know if they'd be surprised. I watched, I mean, I think there's that, you get a little bit of an asterisk on everything, anything you watched in the first three months of the pandemic. But mm-hmm. we, my wife and I, who never watch reality shows, we watched the first uh, season of Love is Blind. Yeah. You haven't gone back to season two? Haven't gone back. We don't have that much curiosity. Season two's pretty good. All right, that's what I hear. It's pretty good. Yeah. I didn't think they were going to be able to top season one, but... I just, you know, I got, I finally got one of those apps where you can, like, make a wish list of things you want to watch. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know. I mean, I always feel like I'm a little bit behind already, and so I'm not sure I want to add. And I really like scripted drama, so I'm not dying to add a, a reality show into the queue. Yeah. No, it's 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 like homework these days. It's it's sort of – It's you know. tough. And then, you know, uh, it's nothing's more exciting than getting over that hump and realizing, oh, now it's not homework, right? Like I um, – like Severance, everybody says Severance. Yeah. And then you are like, oh, I guess i got to watch Severance. And then you watch an episode, and then you can't wait to watch more Severance. So, yeah. And that's the exciting thing. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're like, why didn't anybody tell me? And everybody's like, we did tell you. And you were like acting us like we were being rude. Um, but that was uh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That finale. Yeah. Oh, man. Real good. Um, the hobby you'd be doing if you didn't have your day job. The hobby I would be doing if I didn't have my day job. God, a hobby. 
you be collecting anything? Would yeah, you be... I mean, I think I would be. Well, I mean, I think I'd be reading more comic books. Yeah, I think that that is something that has um, uh, fallen off in my life. But it's maybe going to pick up again because my kids now are into superheroes. They're not quite a comic book reading age, but I would like to. I mean, I, there's that thing where if you know, once you stop, you realize you're a million years behind because mm-hmm. it all moves so fast. But yeah, that, yeah, that would be nice to do again. All right, yeah, yeah, they're getting to yeah. that age. So, yeah, I'm so. excited. Uh, the food you you can cook. The food I can cook. Do you have a dish that uh, is, is sort of your signature? Like... I don't really. I I don't really have a signature dish. No, I would say I well I got um I did during the pandemic. I made some. I would make um, spaghetti meatballs once a week, like a big pot of spaghetti meatballs, because we had some people staying with us during the pandemic, and so it was a good feed the whole family. Yeah. Thing. But then I did it from a cookbook because we had we had someone from the meatball shop uh, in New York on the show and they had given me a cookbook. And so it was that thing where all of a sudden it's a pandemic and you realize you have a cookbook. Yeah. And it, finally my wife one day was like, you know, no one takes this long to make spaghetti meatballs. <laughs> and all things being equal, like the fact that you, in your head, you think you've made dinner but you've disappeared for four hours, this is not a good trade-off for me. And I want you to stop doing it. <laughs> exactly. It should just boil, boil the noodles. Yeah. Heat up the meatballs. Yeah, it's be done. A, and she's like, "Stop, like, you know, shaking out the red pepper flakes into a teaspoon. Just cut it out." <laughs> and finally, the show besides your own that you're rooting for this Emmy season. Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. I mean, are they going to be this Emmy season? Yeah, they are. They're going to qualify. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that show has been. I think it started exceptionally well, and I wasn't sure it was a good idea. I mean, shame on me thinking that i don't think vince would have done a show that wasn't a good idea but um it's so much better than i thought it'd be and it gets better every year yeah and i think that there are um so many uh great uh casting choices in that show and that those casting directors uh, should get an emmy yeah 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 that entire cast i mean starting obviously with with bob odenkirk all the way down yeah and uh you know the fact that bob odenkirk's okay yeah he's in good shape as a matter of fact uh, the final word at the panel we did with him the other night it was like, okay, one word, Bob. How would you describe this season? Heart stopping. Oh, very. That's, right? That's, a, yeah. that's, that's an old school improviser. That's an improviser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He tied it back <laughs> he perfectly. Completed the long form. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love it. Well, Seth, man, congrats on on everything. Of course. Thank and, you. And <laughs> staying safe nice. and and good and. Uh, so uh, so happy that you're uh, you're going strong. The kids are kids are good. I'm Life's good. Just very slowly now, make you watch me flip through this uh, Facebook while I find the ones that got away. <laughs> <laughs> That's Seth Meyers, host of Late Night with Seth Meyers, weeknights on NBC. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. Until next time, for Jazz Tanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.